0: Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm.
1: Ethan, how you doing today, man?
2: I'm doing pretty good. I have a lot of stuff around my house that I was cleaning today, you know, the New Year's coming around, and, uh, yeah, just trying to figure out whether I should get rid of some of it or I don't know, just got a bunch of crap.
1: Oh man, is that yeah, <laughs> that's just teeing things up right here for Ryan Frederick. He's bringing <laughs> us the idea. <laughs> like, I, I, that's not even subtle, but I, I like it. I appreciate it. It's it's, uh, it's
2: The thing is that it's true. It is true, <laughs> it's yeah, true yeah. It's true that I'm cleaning my house today. But that brings
1: up Ryan Frederick's business idea that he is gonna be sharing with us. The problem of people not having an easy way to track goods that they are looking to borrow or lend to neighbors and friends, et cetera. Ryan Frederick is the author of The Founder's Manual. It's a new book out right now. He's a proven founder with 20 years experience in multiple industries. Ryan, glad to have you on the show.
2: Guys,
0: thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Tell us what triggered this idea for you. Recently, like within the last two weeks, I was talking to a friend of mine who's starting a a new company and we're helping him with the, with the product. And a tangent to this new company and this new product is the, the borrowing of things. And he was you know telling me that, that he you know realized that he went to you know find a saw to do something and, and he realized that he didn't have the saw and he had lent it to a neighbor in a city that he't even in a state that he doesn't even live in anymore. And so now for him to get the saw back, you know there'd be shipping involved, you know, et cetera. and and then we talked for a few minutes about how borrowing things almost always means the lender is never gonna see it again. And that the borrower then almost always ends up with like remorse and guilt, right? Down the road where they realize that, oh, I've still got Joe's saw, I've still got Susie's sewing machine, right? And, And so I actually thought about that and I was like, there's, there's a borrowing economy, but no one's ever captured the borrowing economy in some sort of an app and in some sort of experience and platform. Because even if, if I lend you Ethan, a, a, a book so that you can read it, there's, there's, there's monetary value to that, right? Cause now you don't have to go pay for the book. You can get it from me for free. Um, and so you saved 30 dollars. what is it worth? Is it worth a dollar for you, right? To pay me through some, you know, through an app so that, you know, you can borrow the book and save $29, right? And so, I don't know, I think there's potentially an economy and an underlying flow of goods and monies around the the just, you know, natural sort of process of people borrowing things from each other.
2: Yeah, I I really love this idea. And, uh, you know, part of what I love about it is that, it helps reinvigorate some things that I've maybe grown a little bit cynical about. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about keeping the planet pure and clean and, and anti consumerism and things like that. But sometimes these things are so hard to manage, right? That we just go ahead and say, okay, you know what? You've got to have your own. I've got to have my own. And they've got to have their own, even though we're all going to only use it, you know, one day out of the year. But I've had situations I used to be a very serious musician, gigging musician. So I had multiple keyboards that I used to bring around and lug around and play and I would tour. And I transitioned my life and I became a PhD student studying biology. And I still had them sitting around and I ended up you know trying to sell one of these really cool keyboards, but I just didn't use it. And I said, you know, I'm just going to give it to my buddy you know and I think he could use it more more than I would and to this day I'm so happy that he's been using it and I have it because he's made such awesome music on it and for me it would have just been sitting in my closet now that's a case where I actually committed to literally giving it to him right off the bat but I've actually seen situations recently like I know uh, I run a piano tuning business and one of my clients asked hey my mother has a Steinway piano can I have somebody babysit it for a while And just, you know, that they'll take care of it until I need it, right? So there's all these situations where uh, there's the potential to loan out an item. There's a potential to loan it out. And maybe with the option of actually buying it eventually, if it turns out the original person didn't need it. So I really, I I think it's actually quite simple, right? Just to build some rules around this to help facilitate it.
1: I think it's timely also, because of course people, this idea is not, new in that people are exchanging goods and and lending it out to each other. But technology is able to facilitate this in a way that has not existed before. It reminds me of the Buy Nothing Project. Have you guys heard of that?
2: It sounds familiar. Tell us a little bit more about it.
1: The Buy Nothing Project, it's a hyper-local gifting project that started in 2013 in Wales. And uh, as of January of this year, they've had... At least 1.2 million participants in 25 countries, over 6,000 volunteers. The way that it works is it's a it's a gifting thing, so it's not as much lending uh, and borrowing. But if you you can find a local community, so I'm part of the Pittsburgh community, and they're mainly organized through Facebook groups. You go on there and you can either just post about something that you're looking for or something that you're looking to give away, no strings attached you know, not allowed to sell anything on it, not allowed to be a jerk and all that kind of stuff normally applies, of course, but it's something that people feel good about this. All the reasons that we're talking about, the psychological benefits of like Ethan had mentioned of uh, giving something away, just facilitated by technology. You can take this, you can tweak it a little bit to make it more financially uh, incentivized, which is what we're talking about here. And I think that's the direction people are going. People are thinking about Everything from their home to their cars to tools as assets that they can, uh, when they're just sitting there, that that can produce a return for them. I know uh, Tesla, I'm a big fan of Tesla. We talk about Tesla on the, uh, the podcast a lot. They're looking to create a ride-hailing network where once their cars are able to drive fully autonomously, rather than have it parked in your garage 95% of the time, it can go out there. And pick people up and take people to different, uh, you know, wherever they're going, just like Uber, except without a driver being present. So I think that this idea taps into this broader problem of people have things that they're not using all the time. And on the other side, people need things temporarily that's, it's either wasteful or too
0: expensive to buy. You know, as people like try new hobbies and want new experiences too, like if somebody wants to, for instance, try mountain biking, but they don't they don't want to try it with a cheap, ineffective mountain bike. But they also don't want to go spend three grand right on a decent mountain bike. But if they could borrow a mountain bike from somebody for a day or a weekend, then they could save money through you know, the borrowing process. And they could really you know, have an experience with it and figure out, do I want to go mountain biking more and should I buy one of my own? I think there's a hobby sort of experiential component to this too, where people are unsure of if they want to buy something to facilitate a new hobby or experience versus can they just borrow somebody's and get their feet wet. I'm wanting to dive in a little bit into how this actually works.
2: One of the things that I'm thinking of is any item has a retail value right so you could you could certainly look it up online um, and, and maybe even an MSRP just to make it very very clear what the actual value of the item is even though you might find it for cheaper or whatever and then the system could create relatively simple rules around you know what are the costs involved. For example, if the person doesn't get it back or they don't return it before a certain date or something like that, just say 1% of the MSRP you know, will be billed every week or every day or whatever it is while that item has not been returned. And if, if you need to get more details, you could have each of the people involved in the transaction rate the quality of the item. Is it good? Is it fair? Is it used? Is it like new? Things like that. And you might even be able to incorporate tracking of the items issues right so oh we've got some past photos of this item that it shows that there's a dent in in it and so that if somebody borrows it and they give it back we can say okay that was already there let's not worry about it and then in terms of making money off of it i'm i'm thinking there could be a like a percentage of its value that's taken by the the app right whatever the msrp it is of that item, the app just charges a, a modest uh, cut of what that is for the fact that it's being borrowed, possibly to the borrower and not to the person that's that's lending it out.
1: Thinking you're yeah, thinking about making money on that, I, I think one of the key things here is you want to reduce friction so that you're not hurting the network effects that you need for uh, this app to scale. So, to me, if you were charging the borrower to use it. It's kind of icky and borrowing and lending right now, at least is in the, the social sphere, it's not a financial transaction if you're lending a neighbor a, uh, a saw, right? And if you're asking someone to, hey, you can borrow this, but you got to enter your credit card details in the app in order to do so, I think that can introduce a little bit of friction that would keep people from doing it. Not that it's not surmountable, but that's, yeah, that's what's going on in my head of of how do you do that? I was brainstorming a couple ways in which you could make money. One was percentage of late fees itself, a small transaction fee for each borrow, similar to what you had mentioned, Ethan, maybe a yearly subscription to be part of the network in itself. And then also affiliate sales of products that you can't find to borrow. Let's say you're looking for a saw in Pittsburgh And there aren't any available. You can have an ad in there that goes to Home Depot, and and you can buy one, and um, we would get a cut.
2: Is there a danger in mixing sort of like rentals with borrowing in an app like this? If I can lend things out sort of for free, and only in exchange for late fees or something, do I start to just say, "Hey, why don't I just rent this then?" You know, and then it kind of eliminates the eliminates the incentive for this kind of. Happy, uh, we're all just trading and borrowing and enjoying each other's things, kind of part of things. It, would it ruin it if we also incorporated a? Hey, you know what? Instead of being a lender, you could also be someone who rents equipment.
1: I think that it it could, uh, but I guess I also maybe the capitalist in me is saying that that's, you know, that's a, a better way of doing it, and there will be more usage overall if people can look at the stuff that they have in their home and think of them as as income generating potential, as opposed to uh, signing up just out of the goodness of their heart. Now, I mean, maybe you could argue the other way where people would sign up out of excitement for being able to get to, to use all these other things on the cheap. It reminds me of a service that you had shared with me, Ethan, called Trusted House Sitters. And oh, yeah. I'm shocked that this service is not more popular. I've, I've talked with many people and who uh, just have not heard about it at all. We use it all the time. We used it be- before the pandemic, I'd say mostly. But basically, you can list your house on the site for a very small yearly fee. I think it's maybe 130 bucks a year compared to what you're getting. And people will post to, they'll apply to take care of your pets, your plants, your home, it's a little bit different from the, you know, the renting and borrowing, but it's still kind of the generous mantra. And I'm I'm surprised at how many people are willing to stay in Leedsdale, Pennsylvania
2: for a week. Uh to, you know, what, what do you want to do here? Why are you all applying to be here? Saves us a ton of money. And you too can stay at Chris's home. <laughs> <While he's laughs> yeah. <out of> town. <laughs> you can look it up. Yeah, but and but actually
0: this that's actually quite a similar idea. Yeah, I think we've jumped the shark on peer-to-peer transactions, right? I mean, it, Airbnb, right, had just recently IPO'd, and and air. Nobody thought that people would want to rent rooms or rent other people's homes. Turo is out there where you can rent your where you can rent your car. We've now adopted, and and we now understand that renting property and personal items is a new economy and it's a new way to make money but it's also a, a new way to save money so i don't think that that would necessarily be as big of an, an issue i and i think it still would happen where two neighbors who pass weed whackers back and forth and who borrow lawnmowers when the others is in the shop, right? That stuff is still going to happen, even if you know an app like this exists and there's this borrowing economy. This is really speaking to you've got something of value that you're not really using consistently and you know that it has value to others and you could go out and, and then make it available to other people, right?
1: You know, I was thinking about an idea like this a a couple of weeks ago. One of my good friends, two of my good friends, they had a virtual reality company. And the way that they uh, made the majority of their revenue was by doing events. And they would fly to Salt Lake City or Las Vegas or whatever. And they would end up having to purchase a bunch of TVs and all the equipment in order to set up their VR system. And then they ended up on the way to the airport, they would literally give the taxi driver the TV, you know, <laughs> whatever, a 32 inch TV, uh, because they just, it did not make sense for them to ship it all around. I was thinking to myself, I would lend my TV out for a week, you know, or a weekend, pay me a hundred bucks or something. And sure. Yeah. I, have a, I don't need my TV during that time. It seems, you know, straightforward from what we've talked about so far, but of course there are going to be a bunch of challenges, getting people to sign up jumps out as a, as a challenge building it in itself do you attach you know qr codes or something to the piece of item how do you track all the items it seems like there are a lot of problems that need to be figured out in order to get something like this going what do you guys think that where do you think it makes sense to start
0: in my fundamental assumption now for clients of of my product firm, AWH, you know, and, and startups that I'm invested in and others that, that I advise, I think you have to have the base assumption that, that it can be built, right? Wh- whatever you're talking about, right, can be designed and can be developed and, and the technical challenges likely can be overcome. I think the challenges that are the hardest now, and you made this point, is distribution, how, how is anybody gonna become aware of this new whiz bang thing that you've built and how are you gonna acquire users and how are you gonna acquire users cost effectively enough so that the business model works? That's what you really have to prove at the beginning because if you make the assumption that the tech piece can and the product can get built, what you've really got to validate is your distribution. So oftentimes when you have startups that are
2: trying to grow quickly, offer these really extreme incentives for sort of joining the network, right? Like, you know, you'll get your commissions for life, 50% commissions for life or anybody that you bring on as a, as a founding, as another founding member of this app or whatever it is. And so, around lending things out everybody's got something or other around their house that's actually really cool and they never use right so you could capture people searching for hey can i buy this or can i buy that and as a new user of it the the service can ask you hey what's your coolest thing that you'd like to say in order to help grow this this project you'd like to offer to be lending out and then in exchange, the the service can say, well, we're going to fully insure it, you know, for whatever, if it gets stolen, if it gets lost, if it gets broken, you know, we're going to pay you back the full value, buy, buy you a whole new item. But in the spirit of like doing exciting things to get this thing growing, you know, what, what are you willing to put out to lend and make it exciting?
1: I'm wondering if there should be certain categories of items that you would start with, just because there would be, most popular. And it could be something like TVs the high value ones that really get people excited about, about, uh, taking part of it. I don't know how many people would want to borrow a TV, uh, for a weekend, but something like that in terms of finding folks, one tool that, that, uh, comes to mind for me for my marketing work, there's this company called El Toro and they do IP based targeting, And you can draw a box. They they map um, buildings down to the square meter on uh, IP addresses. You can draw a box around, let's say, a uh, toy exchange um, in Pittsburgh. From 10 to noon every Saturday, they have a toy exchange. You can draw a box around the building that it happens. And everyone who shows up in there, you can retarget. So some... Really interesting technologies like that. That's probably that wouldn't be the first place that I would go, but I, I think the the bigger idea is trying to find people who are already trying to do this in other areas, like Toy Exchange, the Buy Nothing Project, uh, maybe Toro, things like that.
2: So I think that what you brought up earlier, Ryan, is a is see, it's it's a great place to start, and that is with sort of recreational items right like a tv is not a recreational item it kind of sits in your house right but a mountain bike right or a pair of skis or like a snowboard or, or even like a snowsuit or something like that if you just want to go hiking or a tent you know all these items that people might only use once or twice a year but they keep in their garage you know and it's maybe sports related you actually might be able to have a sports theme sports and outdoors and things like that have that kind of theme a lot of these items are seasonal too, right? So maybe it can be something where, you know, someone in, uh, in the South, you know, can, can loan something out, ship it out to someone in the North when they need a tent, right? Because it's a different season and it's time to go camping in that area of the world. I, I like that as a potential uh, starting point. I'll give one example of an established business that's seems to be doing quite well. I've been using it for years. It's called gear trade. People can list their sporting good items on this website and you can find something super cheap, sometimes 10%, sometimes 90% uh, less than you would um, to buy it new. And a lot of it is this kind of sporting goods, camping, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And even national outdoor retailers like REI will do garage sale days where REI customers ahead of this garage sale day at, a, at an REI store can take in equipment that they are willing to, to sell on consignment and, and REI supports it. The challenge with that is if your item doesn't sell, now you've got to go back to the store to pick it up. So th- there's there some logistics involved that can be inconvenient versus you know this kind of a model where you can you can make your stuff available for people to to borrow and now you don't have to make a decision because in these in these other situations that we're talking about, you have to make a sort of hold or fold decision, right? You either have to make a decision about I'm gonna take my tent to REI's garage sale day to see if they can sell it for me. Versus I'm going to lend it to somebody who can borrow it, but I'm still going to get it back. So I don't have to make an ownership or non-ownership decision around this tent. So I'm going to just come in extreme,
2: you know, bad cop on this real quick Uh, and, and just say that, isn't it just a myth that you can borrow something? And it's like you're not using it. I mean, you're borrowing it. You're, you're, you know, you borrow that mountain bike. You get it dirty. You get it dented. You get it messed up. So you're actually getting some usage out of it. You're taking away from the life of the item. And so, for someone else to be willing to sort of do that process for free, it's kind of like believing that you know there's no conservation of energy in the universe. I mean, everything gets older when it's used. So, and I've, and uh, another uh, total objection I have is. Oftentimes, I find the people that view things as that they don't get used up when they're, they get borrowed are the ones that abuse them the most, you know, especially like, uh, I've run into this with younger, younger people, like maybe in their mid 20s, they're starting to get out into the world and start using. things. they totally think they could just borrow everything like they used to borrow it from their parents. And then, you know, all of a sudden, they have lost it, you know, or ruined it. You've officially become an old man, Ethan. <laughs> I am an old man.
1: Younger kids taking
2: our, <laughs> taking our stuff
1: and ruining them.
2: I do have a story. I have a very specific story. You know what I'm going to tell the story. Go for it. And it's not out of resentment. It's out of hopefully just telling a story. <laughs> but I, I've trained I trained piano technicians. And I did at that point. I was, I was still relatively young. I was in my late 20s. And some of these guys in their early mid 20s. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to loan out my piano tuning tools to them. And it's going to be great. And it's just going to be this wonderful giving thing. And I remember the guy that I loaned out these piano tuning tools to. It was time for me to go pick him up. And and he was he was about to move his apartment. And I said, "Uh, are you going to give me back those piano tools? He's like, oh, I already moved. It's, It's with a bunch of stuff that I left in my room. You know, you go ahead and pick it up. I literally went to his apartment. And the tools were scattered across the floor among like dirty laundry and like all these other garbage, you know, leftover items. And these are expensive tools. And, you know, I I had to go there and collect them and I had to have like a second thought about what does it mean to loan something out? How often would I actually do this? Is it something that you do with caveats or you just stop doing altogether?
0: I think that's the experience for a lot of people as part of of lending things, right? Um, And I think that's one of the reasons that the app and the platform can provide value is because when you systematize something inside of an app and a platform and people are going to be held accountable based upon user reviews and their account thresholds of how many things they can borrow or the view of things they can borrow, I think the system accountability then encourages borrowers to behave better as borrowers.
1: That's a great point. So you can, maybe when you first sign up, you can only borrow something that's worth $10 or less until you get enough reviews to be able to move on to to larger items uh, potentially. It is messy though. Let's say that someone does dent your, dent your mountain bike. How much value has been lost in that? An app is not going to be able to arbitrate that without a person <laughs> intervening, right? Someone would be upset if they had to pay $2,000 for a mountain bike for one dent, but yeah, I don't know how you handle that.
2: It would be interesting to look up. I think, probably one of the best examples already been raised the car sharing app uh turo i've rented with turo a few times and there's been little situations not where yeah like one of them i got a ticket and this was like another stupid story i was in a national park with like a stop sign in the middle of it for no reason and a camera tracking like whether i actually came to a full stop uh but but anyways you know, I got this ticket and I kind of wanted to contest it because it seemed outlandish. And there were ways to negotiate this basically, you know what I mean? They had built ways to have to make sure that this worked out. Um, In the end, I just ended up paying the ticket because it wasn't worth giving the headache to the owner of the car around it, you know, and I agreed that even though it probably wasn't a fair ticket, it was just worth it for the good of the app and the good of the ecosystem. So I think people, people will work things out among themselves, and an app like this
0: will develop protocols to help make sure things move smoothly. And almost all of these peer-to-peer apps and companies now have some sort of arbitration mechanism built into the app and built into the policies and and, and procedures. And so, you know, if someone stays in an Airbnb and, you know, puts a hole in in the, the drywall, right, there's, there's a way... For the homeowner to then seek compensation through Airbnb as part of that damage, and and sometimes that flows down to the the, the customer, right, the the renter, and sometimes Airbnb just uses you know their own insurance, right, to the and I, it depends on sort of the level of the damage. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of that peer-to-peer mediation arbitration has has been addressed because peer-to-peer economy now is not new.
1: Yeah, that makes me really drive toward this needs to be financially incentivized. That's my opinion, at least, because I can't imagine letting someone just borrow something for free of high value to me. Certainly not a car, like that doesn't happen, but uh, probably not even a a mountain bike or or a TV to a stranger. I don't know. I mean, if I were compensated for it, I would do it, but
0: yeah, and maybe there are, as we were talking about thresholds before of, of new users, how much they can borrow. Maybe there are thresholds around the, the financial aspects and fees. So if you're borrowing a $20 book, maybe there's no there's no fee as part of that. But if you're borrowing a 3000 dollars mountain bike, there is a fee, you know, just to just to process the, the actual borrowing activity. So let's just dive
2: into how lucrative of a business is this, you know, is the do we have a sense? Is this like a, a million dollar business? Is this a billion dollar business? I think it
0: has massive potential because if you look at, you know, and, and it's easy to point to Airbnb because they just recently IPO, would right? And say, well, if the, if the value of peer to peer residential rentals is valued at that, then, then what's the value of all all sorts of other personal item rentals, right? Besides, you know, residences, you'd have to think it would be pretty big. I think to get there and to fulfill that potential, I think it has to cross a, a, a chasm at some point of in 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 you know virals overused but i think that it's gotta it's gotta be a almost it's got to capitalize on the sharing social social economy where you, you know the two of you hear about it because i say hey i just you know rented my mountain bike to some dude for a weekend and you know i made 125 bucks and you know the dude had a great and I know that you've got keyboards, right. That you could rent. This feels like it has
1: to be a venture backed business and not, not one that's bootstrapped and a lot of moving pieces. It seems like you need a lot of capital to get out in front of a lot of people at once and build the network effects. I'm curious, Ryan, I mean, you've seen a lot of businesses. Do you think that you could
0: bootstrap this or do you need the venture capital? I think it could be bootstrapped, but I think the better way would be to to get some investment behind it. it again, the technology piece and the product piece actually isn't the, the biggest problem. It's the marketing and distribution and awareness. And marketing and distribution are you know less expensive than they they've historically been because you can use the social platforms and target really really precisely and and fairly inexpensively. But you're still talking about a marketing spend probably of you know $20,000 a week right or something like that to start so you could bootstrap it at the beginning to get enough validation to say hey we ran these social campaigns and we acquired these this many users now if we poured fuel on this we would get this many users right i think you could do some early bootstrap validation but I think if you're really going to scale it as quickly as you would want to, it's probably going to require some funding because you're going to want to pour some fuel on on the marketing distribution side.
2: There's two things I want to call out here. I kind of like the the rentals being the focus of you as the business owner business starter, and maybe the borrowing aspect of it, almost kind of like a lead magnet to the platform. Maybe people who would be who would be rent who would rent things out might also you know, kind of offer things for free for a limited amount of time just to kind of attract business. When I look at Airbnb specifically, and I look at Turo, here's a couple of aspects that I'm thinking. Really, what's what I've seen with with Turo is the best experiences that I've had are people who they bought a bunch of cars, and they have basically become their own little car rental service, you know, and I'll go pick up a car and they'll have like 10 cars parked outside their house. And they've invested quite a bit you know, in in purchasing vehicles and so on and so forth to become a little rental facility. So that's probably going to be the direction that the power users are going to go. They're going to become little rental houses and actually build an income. So you're going to want to sell that to users as a possibility that they could make some income just by renting cool things. The other thing about the Airbnb aspect is One thing that I think people love about Airbnb is we just did an Airbnb where we stayed on a farm for my son's birthday. He's three years old, you know, we got to feed the chickens, you know, we got to make a fire and we roasted marshmallows and sort of all these things were part of why we wanted to do that. So I think another thing that you could sell to potential users is I'm not just borrowing this thing that you can borrow or buy anywhere. It's kind of like a a cool version of it that somebody happens to have. And I'm willing to or I guess in that aspect, I think rental borrowing and then moving on to rentals. Can I rent you like this really tricked out mountain bike that I have that you might never buy for yourself, but it's going to be really fun to go for a ride and maybe have this, even have this experience where I have a whole route planned out for you or something like that.
1: Well, we're coming up on time here. We can keep talking about this all day. Yeah. There are a bunch of ways that we can take this Ryan's brilliant idea. Thank you for sharing this. It's been fun talking through it. Where can people go to learn more about what you're doing?
0: Yeah, the, the founder's manual, the book that we've referenced a couple times, is available at foundersmanual.com. And uh, then my product firm, which I've also mentioned a couple times, is awh.net. And we help clients build digital products very much like the, the borrower one that, that we're speaking of. So if, if somebody's in the need of some digital product help, then reach out to us there and, and uh, the team will get back to me.
1: Great. Brian, it's been a pleasure talking with you. For the person out there listening, take some action. Tell us what you think about this episode. You know, whatever your thoughts are, email us at update at runwithit.fm. You can also review us at uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, let us know what you think that way. We really appreciate hearing from you. And until next week, we will uh, enjoy yourself. And uh, (laughs) I... I've got this in the back of my head. I see you staring at me, Ethan, because I said to the <laughs> listener out there, I can't stop doing that. I'm sorry, listener, not out there, in here, in your earphones. But appreciate spending this time with you. It's been fun. We'll see you in 2021.